Well, today I want to talk to you about the secret to love that lasts. And what is that secret? What is the secret to love? It's kind of mysterious because as a pastor and, um, you know, I, I have just watched through the years. I've seen couples go from exciting to exhausted to expired. I've watched that happen in people's lives. They, they get married, they're so excited, and then somewhere in the course of the marriage, they get exhausted and they're tired because how many of you know that marriage is much more than a feeling, okay? That feeling that you had, and marriage lasts a lot longer than that hour-long ceremony and that two-hour-long feast that you go to afterwards. And then till finally when people come to me and they said, our love has died, I've fallen out of love, and love has expired in their life. What makes love happen? What's the secret to love that lasts not only in our marriage, but love that lasts between our children and us? Love that lasts between believers and churches. I remember one man said to me one time, he said, Pastor, he said, boy, if we could just really share the love that Jesus gives to us and not be so worried about all the other things that people think of as success, if we could just learn to love one another like Jesus said to love each other, he said, I think the church could conquer everything. And this man was an oil man. He was a very wealthy man. And, and, but he was, I think he was just right on. He was very, very right on to the fact of learning how to love each other with a love that lasts. What gives us love that also takes our friendships so that friendships don't become exhausted and expired? What, what helps us to love unbelievers like Jesus loves unbelievers with an undying love? There are times when I want to wash my hands and don't look at me like I am backslidden because I think there are times you may want to wash your hands too of relationships, but what is it that makes us learn to love the way that Jesus loved? Now, I was a teenager, and I know what it means to have those really, really good vibrations, those good feelings. And I got an email from one of our students just a few weeks ago, a few months ago. I think I may have even referenced this in the Sunday morning service. And they asked me this question. It says, Pastor Dennis does Becky still make your liver quiver? <laughs> and I wrote him back and said, yes, after all these years, she still does that for me. I, I get this ocean of emotion when I'm around Becky, you know, so I know what those feelings are, but here's what I want to tell you that we've learned. Puppy love doesn't take you through the dog days of a marriage. Puppy love doesn't take you through the dog days of raising children. Puppy love doesn't take you through the dog days of learning to live with a church and learning to live in a community. There's always challenges. Some of you saw the movie Fireproof, and you watched that movie, and many of you, when that was out a few years ago, you came and you talked to me about it, what it did for you. I, I preached a message during that time and just took the title right from that, that message, What Makes a Marriage Fireproof. But do you remember that scene where Caleb is going to divorce his wife or let his wife uh, divorce him, and, and his dad sits him down, and he glues two shakers together, salt and pepper. Remember that? And he says, you know, marriages are like this salt and pepper shaker. They're both different. They're both unique. But you always find them together. And I found that to be true in life. I thought that was a pretty sage, not no pun on words there for flavoring, but I thought it was a pretty good illustration. You always find salt and pepper shakers together on the table because people 
like salt and pepper on their food. And so he glued the two salt and pepper shakers together, and he was encouraging his son not to divorce his wife. And his son looked at him, and he says, Dad, why did you do that? He says, because that's the way love is. It sticks together through the good times and the hard times. And so Caleb begins to try to tear the salt and, shaker, salt and pepper shakers apart, and his dad stops him and says, Caleb, stop it, or you're going to break both of them. You see, there is a secret to love that doesn't break us, but it makes us complete Love that's complete in Christ, love that's complete in one another, and love, most of all, that keeps us connected in marriage with our children, in our church, in our community. Part of why we're doing the Daniel plan coming up February the 26th is because we not only want to be a blessing to one another, but we want to be a blessing to our community. There are people in our community that I've talked to them about the Daniel plan, and they're excited to learn about it. And I've, I know you have influence. Wherever you go, you have influence. And even the most uninfluential of us will influence at least five people to become just like us. And I've already started praying over the power, the influence of our congregation as you share with them in your small groups, as you share with them from the messages about what's going to happen in your life, how much healthier people will be, not only in friendship, not only in fitness, not only in their faith and in their focus in life, but in just how we do life together as a community. Wouldn't it be wonderful if revival Bible started, a really outpouring of the Holy Spirit started in our community because we decided that faith, fitness, food, friendship, and focus really mattered. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You see, we have this influence because we connect on a level with people that are asking the same questions we're asking. So let's look at the secret to love this morning. Would you stand with me out of respect and reverence for the word of the Lord? I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, if there's one sure time that God is speaking in this service, it's when we're reading the scriptures. So I'd like you to read this brief passage with me from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. I'd like you to read this with me out loud. Here we go. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Father, in the precious name, in the powerful name, in the name that is above all names, in the name that is above pride, and irritability, and unforgiveness, In the name that when we hear it, Lord, we feel the love of God. For you said you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Oh, Jesus, when we speak your name, we're speaking the name of love. 
For the word of God declares that you are love. And now I pray in the preaching of the word this morning, we will take in not only the wisdom, but the power and the might and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone who agreed said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I think the first place we have to come to then is to ask ourselves what love really is. I mean, we have to come to an understanding of love. I, I try not to, but I'm guilty of, I use the word love for a lot of things that I shouldn't use the word love for. I love a good cup of coffee. Can I get a witness on that? You know, I love my Mustang. I sometimes drive home and park my car, and I'll look at it, and I'll say, I'll see you in the morning, baby, and I'll just pat it right there on the top of the car when I get out of it. Forgive me, but I hope that when I use the word love like that, I'm not equating it with the same love that I have for Becky, for the same love that I have for you, for the same love that I have for God. So we have to ask ourselves, what is love? The student that is now a grandparent themselves that wrote me and said, do you still get a quiver in your liver when you think of Becky? I wrote him back and said, yes, but if there's anything I've learned, love is much more than a feeling. It affects my feelings, but love is much more than a feeling. And, and I wrote them and I said, and love is also controllable. I said, I choose to love Becky and I can promise you that she has chosen to love me through some very difficult times. I said to this young person who was young when I was a youth pastor, I said to them, and I'll say it to you this morning, do you remember when I used to teach you in sunlight, that was what we called our youth ministry, that you don't fall into love. You fall into a ditch. But when you say, I fall into love, it's easy to say, I fell out of love. Love is not an accident. Love is a deliberate thing we choose to do. One day, my dad and I were racing on bicycles just before I moved up here. And if you knew my dad, he was very competitive. He challenged me to race up the steps at Mackinac Island. He was always challenging me who could do this first. And dad took off flying, and I was beating him that day. One of the first times I was beating Buford Clanton. I could already see the victory signs. I could already hear my wife and my mama cheering me. My daddy would bust a gut, pardon the expression, before he would let me win. And he tore off across the field on a bicycle, and suddenly I'm, I'm screaming at him, Daddy, you're cheating, you're cheating. And he forgets there's a ditch there. And he goes flying over the handlebars, rolling across the lane. Once I found out that he was okay, I laughed and I laughed. And it said, it serves you right, I win. He had a bad accident. He survived. His pride was bruised. And what we say when we say we fell into love or we fell out of love, we're saying we couldn't control it. And the answer is this, love is a choice. Love is a choice. The Bible says, and you read it just a moment ago, that love is action. It's what we do. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 says, Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We are having a beautiful day in Michigan today. I mean, it's just like springtime outside. But I'm sure many of you 
put on a coat before you came to church. You put on a sweater before you came to church. You took action and you put something on. You put on love. It's the same choice that you make. Secondly, love is a way of life. We're talking about what is love. Love is a, a way of life. One of the things we're going to discover in the Daniel plan is the Daniel plan is a way of life. We're going to start it with our 40-day fast. And somebody wrote me this week and says, what do you want us to fast? That's a choice you've got to make. Read the book. We got some more in this week. For those of you, we ran out last week. If you didn't get one, we got some more in this week. But the Daniel plan is a way of life. It's a way of life with food and fitness and focus and friends and your faith. Love is a way of life. The Bible says in 1 John 3.18, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Circle that word actions in your outline this morning. And if you're using the app, you can do the same thing. And write out to the side lifestyle. Because lifestyle is an action. One of the things we talked about in dollars and cents was we wanted to choose a less affluent lifestyle so that we could be more generous. We get to choose how affluent we want to live, but one day we will stand before God and give an accounting for how we use what God gave us. We also get to choose how we're going to love by the actions we take. It's actions, if I understand 1 Corinthians 13 correctly, it's actions that make love work. And I don't want to be mechanical with that, but what I can tell you is this, and I shared this in the prayer service last night, Prayer reveals what your heart is. The actions that you take to love others reveals what you really think about love. The actions that I take make my words powerful. Because if I choose to love Becky, if I choose to be faithful, if I choose to serve, then I'm loving Becky. If I choose to serve you and love you, Becky can always read my heart, not in my words. She can read my heart by the actions. You can read one another's hearts by the actions that they take in life. So secondly, we're trying to answer the question, what is love? Act like love acts. Well, how is love supposed to act? I mean, that's an obvious question. If we're supposed to act like love acts, how is love supposed to act? Where are you going to learn that from? Love for Lot's daughters, they learned in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so they sinned, and there was this awful thing that happened as a result of the actions they took. If you let Hollywood teach you about love, or if you let Nashville teach you about love, or you let current popular music teach you about love, you're going to discover three things. First of all, love is sentimental. Love is always sentimental in Hollywood movies. And then love becomes cynical. And then love becomes sexual. And people begin to share their bodies before they begin to know one another in life. And so it's very important that we take the right path to learning what love is. I like the sentiments of love. I like the, 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 the sexual aspects of love. But I never want to become cynical about love. And I don't want to get the cart before the horse. So let's look at what the Bible says love should act like. Love should act patient. Love is patience. How do you spell patience? T-I-M-E. Time. 
If you really want to spell patience, you, you learn how to wait on one another. How many times? How many times? In the hundreds of marriages that I have performed, how many times in talking to people have guys said or girls have said, oh, they can be patient, and then a few years later they're complaining because they're impatient with their husband or with their wife. You see, love is alive when it has time. Love is dying when it's hurried. And love is dead when it can't wait any longer. Love is alive when it has time. Love is dying when it doesn't have time. And love is dead when it says, I can't wait any longer. That's why the Bible says love is patient. Wasn't God patient with you? Some of you came to Christ late in life, but God chose to be patient with you. We wait for marriage. We wait for children. We wait for an illness to pass in life. We wait for dreams to happen. We wait for a lot of things, but we have to learn to wait with one another. Say that with me. Wait with one another. Say it again. Wait with one another. And it's the waiting with someone else is where we struggle. Because if we're waiting by ourselves, there is no struggle. We always have compassion on ourselves. We always can understand ourselves. It's much more difficult to be patient and to understand the other person. Ephesians 4.2 says, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. To make allowances for another person means that you're waiting for them to change. You're waiting for them to become what God is wanting them to become. To wait means I've got to be motivated by my love for this other person. I've got to be motivated by God's patience with me because love is alive when it has time. Secondly, love cares. Love is alive when it cares. It's dying when it forgets, and it is dead when it ignores. And so love cares. Love is kind. That's what this word care is all about. Verse 4, love is kind. Kindness is the ability to take my wedding vows to Becky, for you to take your wedding vows to your wife or your husband, and to transform them into doing dirty dishes, to transform the feelings that you have in the, in the, in the maternity suite, and to come home and change dirty diapers, including the poopy ones. I'm preaching to myself here. I never minded changing the wet ones. But oh my goodness, when they learn to eat meat. Oh my, does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? You see, that's what love does. You, you get in there. Love takes time to stay up with one another. It's the hard part. Look at Ephesians 4.32. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you because you belong to Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Nobody need raise their hands. How many of you have noticed it's easy to lose compassion with those that you're closest to. It's easy to lose compassion with those that you're closest to. I've noticed people through the years of doing missions trip have such compassion for people they don't know 
are going on an inner city mission and have such compassion. But when it comes to the people that are closest to them, to the people that we are called to disciple, my first call to discipleship is to Becky, to our four children, our grandchildren, and then to you and, this, and our community. You see, it's easier to have compassion on strangers because you don't have to live with them. But to have compassion on those that are close to you. Can, can I let you in on a secret? I hope you still love me when I say this. I hope you still respect me when I say this. But I'm just opening my heart up to you. The only reason I have a relationship with God is because God is kind and patient and forgiving to me. Well, you didn't have to agree that heartily, but it is true. I don't deserve it. If he was like human beings, he would have given up, given up on me a long time ago. It's why I said to you this morning, especially those of you that have just crossed the line to know Christ, but for all of you, because sometimes Christians forget this, this morning, through the prayer, through communion, through singing and worship, through the preaching of the Word, we're taking in the presence of Christ because the more of Jesus we have in us, the better lovers we become. The less of Jesus we have within us, the better fighters we become. I want to be a lover and not a fighter. Can somebody say amen this morning? Well, give the Lord a hand of praise. Daniel Webster is courting his wife, Gracie, and after they got married, Gracie would knit things out of silk. And so one day he said to Gracie, watching her tie knots, he says, Gracie, let's tie a knot together that can never be untied. I thought of this watching The Chosen last night when Peter and, and, and the preemie were sitting on a contaminated well and they were both tying knots with one another. Daniel Webster said, Grace, let's tie a knot that will never come undone and let's let that be a representation of our love. When Daniel Webster and Grace Webster had passed away and their children were going through their things, they found a little small wooden box that said, Precious Documents. And there on certain documents that were very precious to the Websters was a little silk knot and a little story about the day they tied it and how that knot would never come apart. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, when you have a love like that, you have, we're talking about how love acts, you have a love that is secure. You have a love that is secure. The Bible says that love is not jealous or boastful or proud. You can draw a little line out to the side of that and say insecure. Because jealousy and pride and boastfulness, they're all signs of insecurity. You know the people you work with or the people you know, when they're always boasting about how great they are, they're revealing their heart, their insecurity. You know the people who are proud and they're always trying to wear the right things, drive the right things, live in the right place, tell you about their degrees. They're, they're insecure. You see, love is secure. And, and, and that knot that ties it together, love is alive when it has the strength of security, the foundation of trust. Pastor Mark did a wonderful job preaching Wednesday night on trust but you know that love is dying when it starts doubting. And you know that love is dead when it stops trusting. Because trust is the very center point of our relationship. 
I forget what you call it, but the, the center of a lever where it works, the fulcrum, I think, is what it is. You, it, it gives you the power. Love is that center point that gives you the fulcrum to be able to handle any weights that come along in marriage. So the question I would ask myself today, the question I ask myself, what am I doing? What am I doing that adds insecurity to my wife? What do I do that adds insecurity to my children? What do I do that adds insecurity to our congregation? What do I do that adds insecurity to our community? Because the thing as a great lover we want to do, we want to be able to bring security into people's lives. Because behind the words that I'm preaching to you this morning is that fulcrum that not only sustains a marriage, but a family, a church, a community, and ultimately a nation. And the only way we can experience that love is a revival of the love of Jesus Christ. Not only does America need Jesus, but the church needs Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. And if Jesus is going to be had by our communities in America, then the church of Jesus Christ must demonstrate this kind of act of love. It must. Love is giving. Love is giving. Love is alive when it's giving. It's dying when it's exchanging. And love is dead when it's taking out of the marriage. Love is dead when it's taking from our children. It's Valentine's this week. That's not why I'm preaching this message. Sometimes I go into the Hallmark store in Woodhaven and just because I want to see what cards are saying about love, I'll go in and I'll start reading all the cards. And sometimes I read some of the silliest things in those cards. And I look at it, I'd never give that to Becky. Becky would gag if I gave her that. That might float your boat to give that thing, but you, you, you have to understand. But a lot of the cards are all about exchanging, not really giving. If I had six chocolates, I'd give you three, and I'd have three. That's exchanging. And that works in a business relationship. That works in a political relationship. But between friends and between husbands and wives and with our children... It's not about exchanging. It's all about giving. Love is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. This is why my family will not let me fast coffee during our 40-day fast. And it keeps no record of being wrong. You see, the best relationship, the most healthy relationship, is when we're giving to one another. Now, I love you, and I mean that, and I want you to listen to me. Romantic love is great. I'm going to shower my wife with romance this week. I hope all of my plans come off perfectly. But if I've learned anything in 50 years of ministry, romantic love demands constant attention. But real love gives constant attention. Becky needs my demonstration of love much more than on Valentine's, our anniversary, her birthday, that everyday expression of love. Everybody is waiting for someone to give. But God, 
God never waits. I looked at that cross this morning while we took the bread and the cup. And I'm so thankful that God didn't wait for me to clean my life up. I could never clean up my life. I'm so grateful God didn't wait until I was good enough because I could never be good enough. God gave. While I was still his enemy, while you were still his enemy, God gave. God, if you'll pardon this, but I think it's true theologically. I think it's true biblically. You can disagree with this if you want, but give me scripture that backs it up before I will concede the point to you because I have not been able to find a point. Jesus made himself vulnerable to us. God made himself vulnerable to us. You don't come from a position that first you have conquered. You come first from the vulnerability. I will give first of all. Listen to these wise words of C.S. Lewis. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love, every, love anything in your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable, the alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers and perpetrations of love is hell. Friends, that ought to sober every single one of us, and that comes from his little wonderful book, if you want to read it, The Four Loves. And then finally this morning, love never gives up. Love is alive when it acts its way into a feeling. Love is dying when it feels but doesn't act. And love is dead when it feels its way into an action. And that's where people say, I fell out of love. You didn't fall out of love. You chose to fall out of love. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And some of you, and maybe online this morning, you might be asking this question as well. Pastor, you don't know how my heart's been broken. I have got a gorge in my heart the size of the Grand Canyon where I was betrayed or I was hurt. It can't be bridged. It can't be overcome. My love is dead and all this sounds wonderful, Pastor Clanton, but my love is dead. I want you to hear me. I love you, and I look at me. We serve a great, big, wonderful God. A God who's ever watching us. A God who's always caring for us. A God who always loves us. But God specializes in resurrections. And God can heal and bring back life to whatever has died, if you let him. And I understand in relationships, it takes two people. I do understand that. But before you give up, look to the God that we sang about this morning, the God who brings the dead to life, the 
those aren't just mere sentimental words. Those are the words of the Scripture. The God who brings the dead to life. God specializes. God specializes in resurrections. It may be infidelity. It may be pornography. It may be selfishness. It may be lies. It may be any number of things. God is able to heal and to mend what is broken. There's a little Jewish proverb that says that when God created the world and man sinned, that a perfect vessel was broken. And the spirits of men departed and scattered on the earth like little lights. And that God's plan is to gather all those little lights back into himself into a loving home. And that's why Jesus came and died for your sins and my sins at the cross so that he could gather us back into his family, into the body of Christ, and adopt us as his children. And there's coming a time when the light that is within us will sit on the throne of the universe for eternity, and there will be no need for the sun because of the light of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Stand with me this morning. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Lord, I'm pleading before the very throne of grace this morning. Would you strengthen our hearts by your grace? God, would you make us lovers and not fighters? And Holy Spirit, I confess, I cannot love like this unless Christ, who lives in me, loves through me. And so I pray for each and every one of us today that first of all, we would receive you and the forgiveness you offer to us in Christ, that we would put our faith in Jesus. And if that's you, would you just simply pray like this with me? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Oh, Jesus, I sense your love. I know you love and forgive me. And I ask you to help me to learn how to love you and to become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. So as much as I know how, I commit my life to you in Christ's name. And if you did that, angels are rejoicing and welcome to the family of God. Let's continue to pray. Now, Father, would you help us to act on what we know and not upon what we feel and help us to live this way until suddenly we feel that love of God for one another, for our spouse, our children, our community, for our parents. Lord, I pray that you will help us to never give up and to remember that, God, you, you specialize in resurrections.
and above all, that we will never take the love we share for granted. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. If you committed your life to Jesus, if you're here this morning, please stop by our connections table. We want to bless you with something that will help you get started in your life with Christ. And if you'll email us right here, info at woodland.church, or you can email me at pastor at woodland.church. We want to help you get started in your new life with Christ as well. God bless you. We're going to receive our tithes and offerings and worship the Lord with that. If you can go ahead and be seated, I'll pray a prayer of blessing over you as we give. And um, if you're giving, it's your first time, please use an envelope and let us know who you are and a way we can just give you credit for your giving. And uh, if you have any questions, be sure that you fill out a communications card. If you'd like prayer, fill out one of those as well. Let's pray. Let's lift our gifts to the Lord as we give. Father, what a joy it is to give. Love always gives. We bring back to you your tithes and our offerings of love. We remember those that are suffering in Turkey today. And Jesus, we want to give to help them. We remember, Lord, those in our community who depend upon us, the children, Lord, that this congregation feeds, the missionaries that we support, and the churches that we have helped plant and start. So now, God, I ask you, would you smile upon each and every one of us? And would you cause our giving to be multiplied and our blessings to be multiplied? Lord, help us to choose a less affluent lifestyle that we may choose a more generous lifestyle. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you as you give this morning.